Uh, let me just start off with one idea. <clears throat> I had mentioned last week <clears throat> that <clears throat> Robert says <clears throat> uh, that uh, Mashiach will come what's called the Moitzor Shmita, which means the year after Shmita. Now we know Shmita is, the, is this year, this coming year. Right? Uh, but what's interesting is that we know Please Shmita... Please talk louder, now, I can't hear you. Please talk louder, I can't hear you. We know that Shmita begins this uh, September, actually. But what is interesting is that Shmita is after seven years, the seventh year of Shemitah. Uh, but after seven of them, which is 49 years, you have a year called Yovel. So what Robert is probably referring to is that the Mashiach will come at the end of Shemitah, because it's very likely that that will be a Yovel. Now, a Yovel is it's called a Jubilee year in English. And what it is, it says that you will proclaim liberty throughout the land. <clears throat> and many things return, they return to the former owners. If somebody sold his inheritance, land, then it must go back to the original owners. There are many things that return to the original owners. <clears throat> and what Yovel means uh, conceptually <clears throat> is that everything will return to God. Think about that. God, in a certain sense, has given away everything, which means he has allowed everybody, right, to take. He's given them money. It's all God's money. Like it says, you know, the money's mine. Everything is mine. <clears throat> what God does is he allows people to take. He gives it to the people, his money, his, uh, everything is his. Hashem uh, Maloyo uh, to the earth is God, God and uh, all its fulfillment. <clears throat> so Yovel is a year that halakhically everything goes back to the original owner. Therefore, it's very possible that Robert is saying that the Mashiach will come right in the end of Shemitah, which possibly is the Yovel year, which makes sense because God says, I'm taking back everything. That's the Messianic era, right? When we realize that everything is God, you see, that's when we have the profound understanding <clears throat> of who is the boss, who really owns everything. Now, we have lost the count of Yovel. We have lost the count. We have the count of Shemitah, so we know what every seventh year is, right? <clears throat> but which Shemitah is the last Shemitah or the 49th year, and therefore the next year will be Yovel, we don't know. Wouldn't it be incredible if this Shemitah is the last Shemitah of the 49 cycles, and therefore next, let's say, October, right, which is Tavshin Pei Gimel, will be Yovel? And wouldn't that be something that the Mashiach gave? Be perfect. <clears throat> so I had mentioned... <clears throat> last week 
that it's possible that if this is the last Shemitah, and if a Yovel is the year after, right, and if the Mashiach is coming, then it will not start a Yovel. The preparation will begin in Shemitah. That's what's going to happen. Because you can't just drop the Mashiach on people. The shock would be much too great. You have to prepare the world, you see. Same thing happened in Egypt. The Russians didn't appear to everybody. First, he appeared through the plagues of Egypt. He destroyed everybody, which is miraculous. <clears throat> you know, I mean, when it says that the Nile River turned to blood, we're talking about blood that could have qualified for Blue Cross. You know, that was real blood. It wasn't colored water. It was real blood. I wonder which type it was. But whatever it was, it was unbelievable, right? So people began to see or realize what God is by his power. And then by Kriya Shamsa, right? The splitting of the Red Sea was a miracle that the world had never seen before. But the Medrash describes what Yamsuf was, divided into 12 sections. And there were fruit growing from the water. It's just beyond belief. It's like a fairyland. The, uh, the priest Yamsuf. Uh, you see, so that was a second stage of preparation. And the third stage of preparation is what? It's the 49 days, the rest of the time. <clears throat> and we don't know really what happened. But whatever was, certainly wasn't something that we can understand. And then finally, after the 49 days, right, what happened is Matan Terra. And Matan Terra was something that was beyond uh, ordinary, uh, just extraordinary, you see? So therefore we see from there that God doesn't, you know, shock people. What he does is he prepares people for a tremendous mahapecho, which is overthrow of materialism, you see? Because he doesn't want to do that. And that is why uh, he, Mr. Shia does come next year, this Shemitah itself will be a tremendous year of preparation where things will change, things will happen. And I had also mentioned, right, that uh, I believe that next year, which is Shemitah, doesn't even start on Rosh Hashanah. It will start on Rosh Hashanah's Elul. So that last week. Because mm-hmm. Elul really is the preparation for Shemitah. And Shemitah is the preparation for You'll fail. So I said last week that something shocking may happen on Rosh Chodesh or day after Rosh Chodesh, whatever it is, right? And that itself will begin something. <clears throat> now, last week, Nobody had any idea what that could be, right? But like I said, I said, and lo and behold, the day after the Shavuot, Tuesday, Andrew Cuomo quit, which shocked everybody in America because he's a fighter. And the last thing you thought he would do was give up. Of course not, you know. And he did, and he gave up. He resigned. And everybody's stunned. And this has reverberations throughout the United States. 
because he's one of the main guys in the Democratic Party. We're not talking about a low guy on the totem pole, as they say. He's one of the major contenders. That they were thinking of him as being a major contender for the presidency if they wouldn't give it to Biden. Yeah, they were thinking of Cuomo. And the, the Democratic Party adored him. And that he should resign from the governorship, you know, in the midst of tremendous scandals and so on. Unheard of. That's shocking. Now, this is a very good sign. Why? Because when God takes out punishment against evildoers, that means that the Sutton is not doing a very good job of protecting his guys. He's losing. That's what it means. When evil begins to see, you know, retribution, that is a very good sign that the good is right behind that because that precedes the good. The overthrow of evil must come before the introduction of good. Obviously, it makes sense. Uh, so the fact that God can topple, which is exactly what happened, even though they don't understand it, the fact that God can overthrow, topple Cuomo, who lives and breathes for power and to intimidate everybody. That's what he lives for. In any case, he's incredible. Over what? Over what can you think about that? You know? <clears throat> so therefore, that's a very good sign that maybe this arrow is the precursor to the Shemitah year, which is the precursor to Yoga. That's what it means. There's no question that this is extraordinary, you know, because he's one of the most powerful men uh, in the U.S. government. There's no question in New York State. He's the governor for years, you know. Uh, so it's a very good sign. Well, what can I say? Let's just hope that it continues. You see. So far, Elo got off to a great start. Very interesting. And you're not going to read about this in the New York Times, that's for sure. <clears throat> you know, but uh, it certainly is, uh, this certainly says it, the overthrow of some type of evil. In any case, okay, uh, I would like to talk about something which is coming up very shortly. And that is Rosh Hashanah, you know. And I'd like to talk a little about Rosh Hashanah. And uh, <clears throat> if I asked you, what do you think Rosh Hashanah is really all about? Everybody knows, right? Rosh Hashanah is about judgment. That is when, right, everybody is judged, correct? So you're going to probably wonder, well, what am I going to say that you don't know? You know, what kind of shit can I give? Uh, you already know this, you know. But I'll tell you something. Really, nobody knows what Roshan is about. Shocking concept. Really nobody. And I will, therefore, tell you what it's really about, which is something different than what you understand, you see, in terms of what Rosh Hashanah is really all about. Okay? So, that is the question. 
Uh, so I'm going to start off with a series of questions to dramatize that we don't really know what Rosh Hashanah is about. So I want you to believe me. So I'm going to start off with questions. I've got to convince you that we don't really know what's going on. So, first question. Every holiday, every Yom Tov, is connected to a Jewish event, a Jewish historical event. We know that. Pesach, right? Yitzhak and Triumph, Exodus, right? Shuas and Mount Torah, giving the Torah, Tishbub, the destruction, Sukkot, clouds or whatever, Purim, Hanukkah, everyone, right? What's Rosh Hashanah connected to? What is the Jewish event that is connected to Rosh Hashanah? Isn't that an interesting question? Uh, I mean, Rosh Hashanah doesn't seem to be connected to any Jewish event, right? We do know that on Rosh Hashanah, the first man, Adam Mauritian, was created. That we do know. But was Adam Jewish? No. Adam Mauritian was not Jewish. The first Jew was Avram Avinu. Correct? He's the first Jew, Avram Avinu. But Avram is called Ivri. Avram Ivri, Ivri means the Hebrew. Today we call it Jewish, but the original term for the Jews was Hebrew, Ivri, which is what Avram Avinu was. Adam was not an Ivri. He was the first human, uh, but he was not Jewish. In fact, Noach wasn't Jewish either. None of them were Jewish. Yeah, I know we're all saying, what do you mean not Jewish? They're all in the Torah. True? Yep. That doesn't mean they're Jewish. Not a goyim in the Torah. So what? You see? So the question then is, all the Mauritians are Jewish. Right? So what does Rosh Hashanah do with Judaism? Interesting question. So that's the first question. Second question. Well, like I said, you know, what happens when you're in Rosh Hashanah? So you're going to all answer me, but we're all judged, right? And the answer is yes and no, not really. Ah, what does that mean? Not really judged? So what happens on Rosh Hashanah? Or what's it all about? That's the second question. Another question did you ever hear of judgment once a year? Could you imagine if New York State, the courts were open only one day a year? You have crime all over the place. Now, the, the funny thing about it, you have crime all over the place right now, right? But how could you have a, a society where there's only one day of judgment? Does that make sense to you? No, obviously not. Judgment has to be every day, not one day a year. So that's the question. How could you have a judgment once a year? Next question. It actually contradicts a Gemara, where the Gemara says, A person is judged every day. So that's the case. But what's the difference between a man being judged, or, you know, right, every day, and Rosh Hashanah, right? Because Rosh Hashanah would certainly be included in the one-day judgment. You know, what's the difference? Powerful question. Another question. It says, everything is judged. Everything. That's very hard to understand. Uh, because if you have no free will, 
What are you judged on? You're not guilty or culpable. Animals don't have free will. Yet everything is judged. Animals, malochim, everything. But a lot of the things which are judged have no free will. So they're not considered guilty. So then why are they judged? What does it mean everything is judged? You see? You begin to realize there's something going on here that we don't really understand. You see? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> how do you celebrate Rosh Hashanah? Did you ever notice? You come home after school, you have this great meal, this great cooking, food, right? But it sits down, right? And you really enjoy yourself. You know? Do you think from the appearance of this meal that people know they're going to be a judge the next day over life and death? No. They don't act that way. Right? Uh, does anybody act as if they're going to be judged? Remember, it's over life and death. Like it says in the Sanatoita, who's going to die, who's going to drown. Right? That's what the judgment is. You know, we don't like to think about that. But guess what? You know, there are people who are judged <coughs> and they die. Right? But the funny thing about it is nobody acts that way. Think about that. You act as if it's a yuntif. Right? Like it's called yuntif shalvashashana. How can a day of judgment when you are judged if you will live or die be a yuntif? It's completely contradictory to what it's supposed to be. Now, that should have been obvious to everybody, you know? I mean, take a person who's really going to be judged next day, if he will live or die, right? You think he's going to sit there with the best food and everything, with guests and so on and so forth, right? Of course he's not going to be doing that. He's going to be up in his room filled with anxiety, popping pills, right? Because the anxiety of, of going into a judgment, <clears throat> especially... If the guilty verdict is death. <coughs> so as I said, <coughs> what this person is going through is completely incongruous to the reality. We do not understand what that means. You see. Okay. The next thing is that there's a Hazal that say that the angels said to God, well, if everybody's so young, why not say Hallel? You're right. On every Yantif we say Hallel, right? I imagine you say it too. Hallel, right? So if everybody's great, let's say Hallel, right? So what God say to them? Well, since the books of life and death are open in front of me, can't say Hallel. Because it's nerve-wracking. Uh, so the question is, it's astounding. <clears throat> what did God tell the angels that they don't know? They know this. Now, what's this discussion about? You know, we're, we're talking about God and his angels, right? Their intelligence is far beyond what we can possibly imagine. What kind of a conversation is this? Right? Strange. Okay. Also, why is Rosh Hashanah the first day of Tishrei? Truthfully, it could be any day you're going to make a judgment day one day a year, so make it any day. It doesn't have to be on the first day of Tishrei. You see? What's the meaning of that? Of when it is? 
Then we come to the mitzvah of shofar. What is shofar all about? That is the question. Now, shofar, you should know, is really <coughs> the only real mitzvah of the Torah on Rosh Hashanah, shofar, right? To hear the shofar, you know? Why? What does this mitzvah have to do with judgment? Now, there is uh, people, of Sadiqoyim, for instance, that gives us ten reasons why this shofar. It warns us, it reminds me of Mantura, giving the Torah when there was a shofar and so on. Fine. But is there a much, is there a deeper reason for shofar? That is the question. You have to ask yourself, not just follow the ritual. What is this? You don't blow the shofar. You get a mitzvah say, positive commandment. Then, <clears throat> what are the sounds of the shofar? So we know there's a tkiya, shvarim tua tkiya. These are these are signs of crying. Yololo. You see, there are three. When a person cries, there are three types of crying. Right. One is a staccato. That 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 that. He breaks down. You know, when he cries. Another way. Another one is called a sigh. That's a shiver. You know, like that, right? So that's shvarim. And then there's the tekiah, a whale. See what it is. So the sounds of a shofar are that because they imitate a human crying. Huh? Why? What does human crying have to do with shofar? Good question. And then there's another question that says that <clears throat> the Sutton is hoping, right, that they don't blow shofar means, you know, He's confused, you see, and there are things that we do so as not to tell him that we're going to blow a chauffeur, whatever. So the question is, you know, <clears throat> the Sutton has a very high IQ. You think after 5,781 years, you figure out that on our tissue, they're going to blow a chauffeur. So what does it help that we do things to, to uh, confound him, so to speak, or confuse him? What's going on? And then, of course, you have, why do we blow the Akeda? Okay. I've asked a whole bunch of questions. Now, you agree with me? You don't know what Roshan is about. Because if you did, these would not be any questions. Obviously, there's something in Roshanah <coughs> which is very different than what you think, you see. And based on the understanding of what Rosh Hashanah is, then you will know how to prepare for it. You see? That's how you do it. You know the meaning, the real meaning of a holiday, a Yom Tov, then you know what to do. And therefore, one of the most important things that you will ask me is if there is judgment, if we do get that answer, right, what's the best way to negotiate with God? Anybody know? an interesting question, right? How do you negotiate or convince the judge to rule in your favor? Is there a strategy? And that's what I want to bring out also. There is a strategy. Okay? Okay. I've asked the questions. Those who have been counting 12 questions. You know? And uh, what is interesting is you don't need 12 answers. 
All you need is one answer. That is, why Rosh Hashanah really happens. And believe it or not, that will answer all 12 questions. Isn't that beautiful? It's a way to do it, right? So, how do we understand? Well, the way to understand Rosh Hashanah is by understanding the following ideas. We have to delve into what's called the blueprint of creation. You see, the problem that we have is we're not familiar with the divine blueprint, the agenda of God. There's a plan here, you see, that he originated thousands of years ago. And God follows the agenda, just like any plan, you see. The problem is we don't know what the agenda is, so many of the things that happen are mystery to us. <clears throat> but if you understand what the agenda is, the blueprint of creation, then you all of a sudden begin to see Judaism and the entire world in a completely different light. Completely different, you see. And if you really get into it, your life changes. Because you realize that this is what's going on. Now, I've been spending a lot of time on current events showing how everything is connected because I want to try to convince people that there is a divine agenda. Yes, you see. So, what can we understand about this divine plan that will help us with Rosh Hashanah? All the acts of God can be summed up in three categories. It's interesting. And they can actually figure out three categories that organize everything he ever did. Okay? One, first act of God. It's called the Al-Hoga, which means actions. Hakil, to fulfill the purpose of creation. Okay, there are many ideas to that. Uh, but the simple idea, what does God really want? What's the simple purpose of creation? Okay? And there's a lot to talk about that, but in a very simple way, uh, the idea is, you know, that... God has created a reality called this world that he hides from. He conceals himself, you see. But he doesn't want to remain concealed. He wants to come back. But he won't come back on his own. We must bring him back. We are the Jewish people. We. Yes. We have to bring God back. Okay? Therefore, what God did is he created an entire stage, you know, staging, if you want to look at it that way. A background, it's like a play, you know, it's a huge stage, you know. <clears throat> God created the world as a stage, you see, and he places a human on that stage. He says, okay, I want you to act in certain ways, and those acts will bring me back into creation. What is that called? Tikkun. Rectification. Rectification or 
repair or restoration. In other words, I created this whole thing and I exited. I concealed myself. But I want you to bring me back. I want to reveal myself to you and to the entire creation. But I won't do it unless you do the right action. So God had subjected himself, right, voluntarily, nobody forced him, to the acts, basically, of mankind. Now it's the Jewish people, but we will understand much deeper what it really was in the beginning. Okay? Now, I'm not going to go into, well, what does that mean? What does it mean God wants to bring himself back, and so on and so forth? Ultimately, the idea of all of it is God wants to come back because when he comes back, when you will experience God, that is the greatest event you can ever have. The greatest. There is nothing that beats that experience of being uh, privy to who God is, to experience him. Or today they say her, which of course is absurd. But to experience him, right? There's no greater pleasure. And I could, there's a whole, you can give it the whole shield. What, what, what is that? What does it mean to experience God? You know? Uh, but that is the greatest pleasure of all. You see? So he's coming back. It's not because he wants to come back. Because he wants us to experience him for eternity, which is called the future world. Okay? That's what he wants. Uh, and that's why he created everything. That mankind, right, should experience God himself, not to an intermediary, a malach. Nope. Directly, whatever capacity you have, you see. And that is why he created everything. Okay? Now, what God did, however, make a certain tonight condition that I will only come back or I will only allow you to experience me if you in some way declare you believe in me. So then justice, meter can make meter, measure for measure. Since you believed in me, right, and you hold I exist, guess what? I will accede to your belief, and guess what? I'll pop up. You will see me or experience me, measure for measure. It's a very simple equation. You see, if you do A, you get A. If you do B, you don't get A. You see, uh, that's a condition. I'm not going to go into why he did that. I gave a shear a while back on that, called the bread of shame, Namdi Sufa, on tape and so on, whatever. Uh, that's a condition. So therefore what God did is I know this is how he created the staging that he could put a human being, and that human being has to conduct himself, engage in a series of actions that indicate that he believes the reality of God. Simple. And, of course, he embellished that. You have certain acts that you have to do, and that's really the concept of a mitzvah. A mitzvah is a testimony that you believe God's will is supreme and that you believe you do the mitzvah, which means that you attest that God exists. It's much deeper than that, but that's a simple form. Every time you do a mitzvah, you are stating, Edus, testimony, that God exists. And therefore, I will submit my will to his. That, that's really what it is. Uh, and if you do that, if you believe in God, then you will experience God. 
That's the way it works. So, Hanukkah Yichud is the action that God can create, right, in, in which he creates the whole background of the test, and the man is placed in that test. Those are the first actions of God, the actual situation that man exists in. Second actions, it's called the Anhog of Mishpat, justice, where God waits for what a person will do, and then based on his actions, there are consequences. That's judgment. What is judgment? Consequences. Now, God looks at your acts and says, okay, if you, if you do this, then I will do this. And if you do that, I will do that. You see? So if a person is evil or does sin and so on, right, then I will act accordingly. Consequential, right? If you do a mitzvah, then I will act accordingly. I will give you what's called reward, although it's not really reward, but I will certainly improve your situation, whatever. But the main idea is that, you know, justice. Justice is consequences of act. That's really what it is. If you do to act A, you get A. Uh, if you don't do act A, you do not get A. Act A, you get B or whatever. It's all. You see? So if you are good, you get good. And if you are bad, you get retribution. That's justice, you see, which is called cause and effect. That's basically what it is. Okay, uh, so therefore, there's a period of time that God examines the world, you know, everything, to see how it's going. You see? And he administers justice, which we will see is a very critical idea, right, in terms of what a person deserves. That is the second thing, judgment. Or consequences. <clears throat> The third thing God does is something very interesting. Now, there's a problem here. Because if God gives you the ability to do with free will whatever you want, see, if you do the right thing, great. You do the wrong thing, bad news. Right? But you have free will. You do whatever you want. Uh, it is possible that all mankind will frustrate God. Imagine if all mankind sins 24-7. So they will frustrate the will of God. Because since nobody's doing what God wants, guess what? He's got to act in, in accordance with that and just annihilate them all. So it's actually possible for mankind to frustrate God because you have free will. Right? And now you're going to say to me, well, that never happened. And the answer is it did. But uh, the world was incredibly evil, right? Apparently, they were evil enough where God said, enough is enough. I'm going to press the restart button. I'm going to destroy the entire planet. That's an unbelievably extreme behavior. Wipe out, uh, you know, the whole program? It's unbelievable. But that's exactly what God did. So you see that mankind did frustrate the will of God. He wiped them all out. And he started again with Noah and so on. Right? <clears throat> so therefore, what God decided is something which is incredible. God said, I'm not going to let this happen anymore, okay? I insist that there has to be a future world and there has to be individuals or people or whatever in the future world that will experience me. I insist. What does that mean? That means God says, no matter what you do, I'm going to guarantee that you will get rid of my book. That's what he says is incredible. That means even though you have free will, and if you want, you could sin, right? 
and you frustrated the will of God. But God says, no, I'm going to make sure you get the future world. However, there are methods that I now have to, to employ which are different, you see. But that's an incredible. That's called Anhogasai Yichud. It is the actions of the supreme being. Because justice doesn't, doesn't demand a guarantee. You didn't do it too bad. It's over with, you know. There's no guarantee that you're going to pass. But the Anhogasai Yichud is a guarantee that you will get Oyim Habo. It's an astounding concept, you see. That means whoever is a masakin, matakin, whoever rectifies creation and brings God back, or is in that department, <clears throat> he must exist in the future world. Nice. That's the good side. But the bad side is this. <clears throat> there are three acts of tikkun. There are three methods of bringing God back. One is called mitzvahs. You do the mitzvah, great. You do the mitzvah, you do the tikkun, and you get rewarded in the future world. Right? That's mitzvahs. What happens if you don't do mitzvahs? So God realized that mankind will not do mitzvahs, always, whatever. So he gave a second method called tshuva, repentance. That's right. Tshuva is the second method of tikkun. Interesting. See? So if you blow it, which means that you sin, God will allow you, right, to retract what you did because you do tshuva. It's tremendous chesed. You don't have to do that. Justice doesn't demand that you're able to start over again. Of course not. You see? But God says, I will allow you to start over again. But you have to do tshuva, repent. But what happens if you don't repent? There are a lot of people out there that don't repent. Or... They do repent just for the moment. It's a weak repentance, you know. So God says, I'm going to give a third method. And that method is called Yisurin, or suffering. Suffering is not punishment. It's an undoing of what you did. Kapora, atonement. So suffering is meant to do the tikkun. But the problem with suffering is you don't want that. It's not good, because suffering can be really bad, you know. There's so many ways a person can suffer. You know, you can have bankruptcies, right? Poverty, sickness. There's so many different ways that a person can suffer. Exile, suffering on a national level, you see. So in one of those two methods, mitzvahs, repentance, tshuva, or yisurin of suffering, these three methods will do the tikkun. You see? And the way God guarantees that everybody will be in Oedem Habo is because of the third method, Yisur. You see? Very important concept. So therefore, ultimately what happens is that everybody will get Oedem Habo. Everybody. Because either they're going to have Mitzvah, Shufa, or Yisur. And Yisur does not have to be now. It could be in a Gilgal. God did a tremendous chesed because what happens if a guy lives and didn't do anything? So God brings him back in another lifetime. Second chance. Third chance. And so on. Because in the end, God wants everybody, every Jew that is, basically, to be in the future world. Great. We now understand in general 
the actions of God, all three. Either God is creating the stage, one, or, right, he's doing, he's examining the, the actions of man, the behavior, and he's judging. The third thing he's doing, of course, is yichud, uh, which means that he's going to take the actions which guarantees that person a future existence. But that's all God cares about. Everything he does is for that purpose. In fact, you could say that everything that God does advances the purpose of creation, which is to get you into the future world, to experience a reality of which you cannot even comprehend. That's how pleasurable it is. See? And that's all he cares about, that idea. Therefore, we now can begin to understand many things. <coughs> if you want to know how strict God is with these ideas, everything that he creates must advance the purpose of creation. If it doesn't advance, he doesn't create it. There are 300,000 species of beetles. I'll bet you all knew that. You know what that is? It's not 300,000 beetles. There are trillions of beetles. Just check out your backyard. There are 300,000 species. They look different. You know, it's astounding if you've ever seen a bug plate. They're different kind of beetles. It's amazing. And they're all different, yet they all belong to the species of beetles. 300,000. And there's 7,000 species of ants. It's, it's incredible. The variety that God created is beyond comprehension, you know. Uh, I think there are 25,000 species of, uh, uh, no, there are 300,000 species of plants, and so on. It's just beyond belief. Scientists estimate that there are probably 100 million different species, these different beings. It's incredible. It's just beyond belief. Now, the question we may ask is, what do you mean? You mean if you created 299,999 species of beetles, well, what's the problem? No. It means that you need that exact amount of species for the world to exist. We have no comprehension of what that means. We don't know. Every species that exists must be in this plan, program, to exist. We have no idea what the meaning of that is and why, but they're all necessary for the plan to evolve, to happen. Great. So we now understand these ideas. We understand what God wants. He wants a Jew, basically, now to be in the future world. And he will do anything to accommodate that. You see, oh, that's great. Uh, we now understand something. If you open a business, right, on January 2nd, right, what is very important? That you evaluate that business again, let's say in a year. Because you have to see if you're making money. Do I have enough inventory? Maybe I have too much inventory. Maybe I have too much stock. This is my marketing good. You, you can't just open a business and just do it. No. You have to have a brain. You know, it's an inventory of some sort, evaluation on the business, at least once a year. 
And of course, if it's not working, you have to understand which department is not working, right? And take action, right? Make an adjustment. Because the bottom line is making money, right? But the truth is, this would be true of any venture, wouldn't it? Whatever your venture is, right? You need to evaluate to see how it's doing. You just do it and let it go, you see? Because maybe it needs improvement, and so on. The world, the real, is made for tikkun. So therefore, God has to evaluate, is the tikkun happening or not? We're holding. Am I closer to coming back? Or am I further away? Right? Makes sense. Because the business of God is tikkun. So just like a business needs an evaluation, right? The same idea. This also needs an evaluation. We understand. Makes sense. You see? So that's exactly, you now understand what Rosh Hashanah is. Rosh Hashanah is not so much an evaluation of you. It's an evaluation of the entire creation. What's the story? Am I closer to coming back? Right? Or am I not closer to coming back? And if I'm not, what do you do? You have to readjust. Don't you? That's just like a business. You know? If you have too much inventory, right? Got to get rid of it. Give you more cash. If your advertising isn't good enough, then you got to advertise. Same thing. God evaluates the entire creation. That's a lot to evaluate. But the incredible thing is that God not only evaluates everything, what they did for every nanosecond that year, but this is incredible. He evaluates everything in one nanosecond. That's the incredible thing. It's not like it takes some days and years, centuries to figure out. In one nanosecond, he sees everything. You can't even begin. Like the, the Mishnah talks about, you know, that the judgment is the skira achas. He looks like that and shh, finished. That's the way he evaluates. It's beyond belief. How you can evaluate everything, every living form, in every action they ever did, and the consequences of every action they ever did, right? Because what we do has consequences, and so on, right? In an instant of time, that's Rosh Hashanah, you see? Which is beyond belief. But we now understand the logic. You need to have an evaluation of the whole program. Not just an evaluation of you. Now, obviously, since you are the worker, right, you're the people trying to, right, or we are the people, whatever, right, trying to bring them back, then guess what? We get evaluated too, don't we? Of course we get evaluated because we, we're the guys trying to bring them back. But the, the primary focus is not us. It is the creation itself. That's the focus, you see. And once you understand that, then you can now see the answer to many of the questions. Not all of them. Many of them, you see. Now, I asked you, is Rosh Hashanah a Jewish holiday? It's a very good question. The answer is, of course not. But I will tell you something, what it is. And you're going to laugh. Rosh Hashanah is not a Jewish holiday. 
It's an Israeli holiday. It's an Israeli holiday. Israeli holiday. Now, it sounds quite funny, doesn't it? Now, what in the world do I mean? I'll tell you what I mean. I don't mean Israeli, Israeli. No. Here's what it means. Every Jew, what is the definition of a Jew, really? Uh, A Jew has a national definition. You are a descendant of Abraham, Abraham, or Vino, right? That makes you Jewish. Because really, you're a Hebrew. It's really who we are. We are Hebrews. You see, that was the original name of the national uh, nation called the Hebrews of Abraham, Vino. You see, Jews became later a name, Yehudi, after the loss of the ten tribes, but the only ones that were left was Yehuda and Benjamin, and parts of Levi and Cohen. <coughs> so since Judah was the most people, we became known as Judas, or Jews. But the original name of the Jewish people is Hebrew. That's why Avram Avinu, Avram Ivri, the Hebrew. That's the real correct name of us. Okay? Fine. That's who we are. That's what a Jew is. But that is not what makes him Jewish. What makes him Jewish is not his physical body or his descendant. It's his neshama, his soul. Because God gave him a soul, a neshama, right, that is connected to all the spiritual realities or dimensions. And therefore, any action that a Jew does actually has an input into each reality he's connected to. There are four realities in this world. Okay? Actually, five, but whatever. Therefore, a Jew has five different parts of the Neshama. You see? Therefore, it's like, it's like having a table to five different locations. You see? And you could appear or have an input on any one of these five locations. Therefore, your acts actually has an input in another universe, another spiritual dimension. And therefore, when you do a mitzvah, for instance, you actually bring God back into that place you're connected to, down and down, and finally God enters this world called Hazel. That's what a Jew is. A Jew has a national identity and he has a spiritual identity. You see, he's neshama. And because he has that type of neshama, he can do the tikkun. He can bring God back. If he wasn't connected to the realities, you couldn't bring God back. That's why a guy is not connected to any of the realities except one. A guy does, he's connected to the lowest reality, which is Asiya, uh, and therefore he cannot influence the presence or absence of God at all unless he becomes Jewish. So originally, so therefore that's what Jew is. He has a national identity of Ramavinu and he has a spiritual identity which is in Shama that you can do the Tikkun. That's the critical thing. Only a Jew can do Tikkun because he has that type of Nishama. Now we take a look. In the beginning, other Mauritians was Adam Jewish? No. Wasn't the Hebrew, obviously, because Avram Avinu came way after he did. But he was the Yisrael. The name Yisrael does not refer to the type of person he is in the sense of the nationality. 
Yisrael refers to Tikkun, Yishama. That's what it refers to. Uh, so therefore, the Jews are called Yisrael because they can do the Tikkun. They can bring God back through their action. They're called Hebrew because they're descendants from Avram. But other Mauritian, who was the first man, right, they were not Hebrews, but they were Yisrael. Isn't that interesting? He was a Yisrael, but not Jewish. In fact, not only he, he and all mankind, for 2,000 years, right, all of them were Yisrael. And there was no such concept of Goy, because everybody born in those 2,000 years could do the Tikkun. You see? There's no Goy. A Goy is somebody who cannot do Tikkun. Now we think he's a Goy because he's not part of Avraham Avinu. But really, that's not what a Goy is. A Goy is somebody who has an Ishama that is only connected to the lowest dimension and therefore cannot in any way influence the presence or absence of God throughout creation at all. Uh, that's what a Goy is. So for 2,000 years, mankind could do the Tikkun, which is astounding. Because God never intended that the Tikkun should be done by one nation. When you think about that, it makes sense. It's not fair. Why should Goyim have not no chalet? But because they rebelled against God at the door of Frogo, so God spread them all over the planet, right? Therefore, they lost the opportunity to be a Yisrael. And it was taken away, and the concept of Yisrael was given to Avram Avino. So now Avram becomes a Yisrael and, an, and a Yehudi. Actually, Avram Avinu was always in Israel because he was the original part of the 2,000 years. Everybody else lost it. He held on to it. That's the difference. Uh, you see? It's a very important concept. People don't realize that. And then began the concept called Goy. You see? Where you can actually have a human being that cannot do Tikkun. You see? Now the question is, okay, so why should he exist? Remember what I said? God is only interested in advancing the purpose. If you can't do the purpose, why do you exist? Sounds like a funny question, but God is very, very exacting, you know? And the answer is, because the merit that a guy has to get the future world can only be had if he helps the Jew do the tikkun. That's it. That's the only reason why God allowed them to keep the neshama of a, a, a guy, but only the fifth part that's connected to this world. If not for that, he would have eradicated all Goyim instantly, because they have no purpose. But he kept them, you know, as a chesed, that if you help a Jew in any way, uh, but it's not only that, if you help a Jew 300 years from now, but you did something, you know, that's a schus, and therefore you have a right to exist. You see? So that's their condition, that they have to help or in some way assist the Jew. Very interesting concept. And on the contrary, when you think about that, go and do the other thing, of course not. The more they hate the Jew, right, the more they're accepted by the nations, that the anti-Semitism, they have no idea what they're doing to themselves. You see? Because when the judgment day come, which comes, which will come, they're gone. 90% of mankind is gone. They don't realize that. And it's not Gehenim we're talking about. It's Ibud, annihilation. 
That's the ultimate end. They annihilate, which means they cease to exist, you see? And they don't realize that. That's why when you look at all these goyim, and now anti-Semitism is growing, you know, you say, are they crazy? Do they have any idea what they're doing to themselves? Uh, you see, and of course the answer is, of course not. They don't. In any case, so we now understand that Rosh Hashanah is the day that Odom Arishan was created, right? Which is Aleph Tishrei, you see? But what's the Jewish event? There is no Jewish event. There's an Israeli event. He was in Israel, you see? It's a very interesting idea. And the truth is, that's really who we are. Like Yaakov Avinu was called Yisrael. You see, we are Yisrael. This is what we are, you see? And therefore, Adam was Yisrael. So we're all Yisrael, right? And you didn't have to be Jewish in those days to do the Tikkun. Very important concept. Now, why does the Judgment Day begin on that day? Well, guess what? You do the evaluation on an annual basis, right? On the day you open the business. Well, when did God open the business? On Rosh Hashanah. He created the first man, and the business of doing the mitzvah was done on that first day, right? So therefore, the date of judgment is on Rosh Hashanah, Aleph Tishrei. It makes a lot of sense. But remember what Rosh Hashanah is. It's not so much a judgment, it's an evaluation and a readjustment. Where is the tikkun standing? Am I closer or not? Very important idea. And here's what God does. When God evaluates, his evaluation isn't so much, aha, you sinned, I'm going to punish you. That's not what his evaluation is. Because remember, as far as he's concerned, he wants to get you into Elam Abba, future world. So his evaluation is, okay, you messed up the year before, right? Where do I have to put you now to get you into Ilum Habo? Well, let's see. Before now, right? So before now, right, you were, you were, you were let's say, a very wealthy person. You're not going to make it being a wealthy person. So here's what I'm going to do. But you have to suffer. You have to go to the Yisurim. So I'm going to make you poor. You see? Poor isn't the punishment. It's the only way you get him to Ilam So all of a sudden, you know, guy here's a stock tip, right? And he invests money. And he loses millions of dollars. And he becomes poor. Why? Because apparently God looked at him and he said, in order to get you to Ilam Habo, I got to make you poor or sick, or all the other kinds of punishments, and so on. And there are so many negative things, you know. Because what God is interested in is not in destroying you. Remember, the Anhogas Hayichot, the third act, he wants to get you into the future world. And that's what we're afraid of. That God is going to look at us and say, uh-uh, you know, hey, I like some of the stuff you did, but this stuff is no good, Right? You're not going to make it to the future world. i got to change your status. We don't want that. Because do you know what the status means? You know, before this you were riding high, right? And now you've got COVID and everything else coming along with it, right? 
COVID is not an accident. Whoever gets COVID is part of that concept when you're Jewish. For the Goyim, it's, it's a punishment. But for the Jew, it's a tikkun way of getting, you see. And that's what God evaluates on Rosh Hashanah. Very important idea. It's not to do you in, as they say. It's to get you into Ilam Habab. The problem is, it may take a different method. Before that, it was mitzvahs within a certain stage, background. You're wealthy, or you're doing fabulous, got a great job, or this or that, right? And now, no, it's not going to work. Therefore, God has to change your circumstances to get you into the future world. We don't understand that. This is our problem, because we don't understand what's going on, you see? But in the end of time, all of this will be explained. Every iota will be explained why you needed this to get rid of Mahabha. But the key that I'm trying to tell you is the judgment is to give you eternal existence. That's the key. Now, a boss, he wants to evaluate his company. So he goes to his office. Every boss has an office in the factory, in the company, right? Sits down. He says, okay, where's the list of my employees? And they give him a list. 400 employees, right? And he begins to, okay, I have the evaluations of each employee by their supervisors, right? Let's check it out. And he goes down the list and he says, uh-oh, a lot of these people need pink slips. They're not doing their job. See, I got to get rid of these guys. Now he does that. Uh, he goes, and all of a sudden, all these employees get their pink slips. They're gone. They're out. You see? God could have done that. He doesn't have to tell anybody he's doing this. I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. He could just, on the Shreddish, what do you call it, Tishrei, he sits down, so to speak, in his divine office, right? And in one nanosecond, he's got it all down pat. You see? And nobody knows. He doesn't have to tell anybody. That's what he wants. You see? But that's not God, is it? No. Because God says, I'm going to tell everybody that I'm going to evaluate them. So maybe they can have input. You see? He's not like the boss who sits down and says, okay, I'm going to do this. And I tell anybody. No, no, no. I'm going to tell everybody. You see? And therefore, get your act together. You see? So all of a sudden, God informs everybody that it's a day of judgment. You see? That's a chesed. It's a chesed that we know the boss is going to come into the company and check over my sheet. Did I do a good job or not? That's an incredible chesed. Because God, because that boss says, look, I'll give you a month to straighten out. Right? Wow. Means I can keep my job. That's what God did. He informed the heavenly host everything. All the angels, because it's in the Torah, that I am going to evaluate the entire creation right <clears throat> on the first day of Tishrei. Wow, what a chesed. And that's why we know about Rosh Hashanah. You see? That's why we know about Elul. Because Elul is a precursor to, uh, to Rosh Hashanah. You see? So Rosh Hashanah is an unbelievable act of chesed. And you don't realize that, you see, because it's actually giving us a chance, right, to change our ways. 
you know, how, how do you thank him for that, you know? And he just doesn't dump it on you and say, okay, here's your pink slip, you know, or I'm sending you off to the hospital for a couple of months. He doesn't do that, you see, or whatever, you see? That's a very important idea. Aha! Uh-huh. But there's a big problem, a very big problem that God just created. Right? So the good news, right, is that he has the evaluation, so he's going to straighten us out to get the future world, right? And he's going to evaluate. And the good news is that he told us so we can actually try to influence it. But there's a tremendous problem that he creates by doing that. Do you know what that is? I will tell you. Imagine if he comes into his office, right? And he checks over everybody and he decides exactly who he's going to shift in what direction in order to get the future world. Okay, nobody would know. He knows that he's a commander-in-chief, literally. That's what he wants. But now that he told everybody, everybody, guess what? The Sutton. The Sutton says, wait a minute, you can't do this. You are judging them, right? You want them to do tshuva? No problem. Let me examine their tshuva. Let's see. Because every judgment needs a prosecution. If it's in court, the prosecution. No such thing as a court without a prosecutor. So the sudden says, no problem. Okay, you want to tell them? Fine. But if you can open up the courts, I'm there. Do my job, which is to prosecute. So it's funny. The chesed is that he told us, right? But the downside is that he has introduced all the kitrugim, all the prosecution. You see? So the sudden is there examining everybody's tshuva. And the sultan's laughing his head off, right? You think you call this a chuba? Come on, the guy's saying, well, I'll give it to Yom Kippur. And then right after Yom Kippur, I'm back to doing what I was doing before, right? And it's just what everybody's thinking, you know, thinking, be on side, you know? Like I say, the fastest marav is the one after Yom Kippur. That's the fastest marav, you know? And so on, you know? Uh, he knows exactly the level, the quality of your chuba. And guess what? According to the judgment, most chuvas are really pretty bad. How many guys really do chuva? You know, say, I examine that I'm doing this wrong, and they really feel sorry, they feel terrible. You see, how many people really do that? They don't. There's a reason for that. But anyway, this is what the Sutton is waiting for. That he has the right to examine everybody's chuva to see if it's legit or not. That is not very good for us. We don't want that. You see? So it's like saying to God, thank you, and no thank you. Because by telling everybody, we're now in judgment. <coughs> you know? What's God do? So what the motion does is a tremendous chesed. He says, I still want to tell everybody because I need people to do tshuva. I want to give them input. You see? But at the same time, I'm going to stop the sudden. Wait a minute. Can't do that. That's his job. You can't stop the prosecuting attorney, the heavenly DA, as they call it, right? So God says, I can't stop it, but it's up to you. Again, 
free will. What is the device that stops the sudden? The answer is the shifra. Now you understand what the shifra really is. You see? Correct. It is the shifra that stops the sudden. So as soon as the, the, the Jews blow shofar or the community, immediately it says God gets up from his kisei din and goes to kisei rachmen. What rachmen? Right? To the kisei of Hanhogesai Yichud. He says, okay, I hear the shofar. I call the court closed. So the sudden is going crazy. Right? Because he's got everybody running. Right? But he's got to stop. The court shuts and God goes into his private chamber, so to speak, of which no being knows. But that's not another That chamber is where he looks at everybody, how to save everybody, without the judgment of the Sultan. So therefore God can introduce Rachmanus. He may have to change a person's situation, but he can add a lot of compassion. You see? Where if the Sultan was arguing, God would, he would say, well, you can't do this. What do you mean? You want tshuva? Fine. Not a tshuva. So therefore, in that sense, justice would demand God, so to speak. You've got to do the justice. It's not justice. So now, since God is alone, doing what he wants, you see? So everybody knows, so there can be some type of tshuva. But because the Sultan, the court shuts, God can now judge everybody based on the Anogasai Yichud, with compassion, you see, and do it gently, but still do it. That's what Shefer does. And if you take a look at the Psukim that we read before the Shefer, mm-hmm. it says, Korah, Sotan, Kuf, Reish, Ayin, Samach, Tesa, those six Psukim that we read, Koyri, Shomoto, right? I think you read it too. Mm-hmm. Automatically that means Korah, Sotan, the Sotan is ripped apart. Korasatan, something is torn to pieces. That's what it is. That's the secret of the shofar. That's what saves us. That's why it says that a community does not blow the shofar that year, it's very bad for that community. Because in some way, they have not stopped the court in that particular community, you see. That's why shofar is such a great mitzvah. It is a protection that we have from terrible judgment, real judgment, of which the Sutton is completely interested in, you see. But why Shunfa? Now let's take a look at all the questions that I asked. And you see that they were all answered. One, right? Is it a Jewish holiday? No. It's an Israeli holiday because the Jews are Israeli. They are Yisrael, you see, really. And other Mauritian was Israel. Very important, right? What happens? That judgment, evaluation of the totality of creation, that's really what happens, you see. That's why one day a year, how could you have a judgment one day a year? Yeah, because you don't evaluate a business every day. You evaluate once a year because if you introduce a change, you want to give it a chance to change you know, to affect. That's why God may decide, well, I've got to take these Jews in Spain, I've got to kick them out of Spain, 
because no good. They're not making it in Spain because they're all wealthy and so on. I got to kick them out, put them into exile, send them throughout Europe, Italy, and, and Greece and all that. That was done on Rosh Hashanah because that's what the Jews needed in order to guarantee that they get Elim Habo. So God just doesn't influence a person. It's a national. Through our hundreds of thousands of Jews from Spain. And it's not just Spanish. The Inquisition, the pogroms, the Holocaust, all of it, you know, is the concept that God says, I need this to give the Jews Oyelim Habro, you know. Unfortunately, some of it is very bad. I mean, the Inquisition, the pogroms, terrible. In Russia, the Holocaust, the expulsions, I mean, these are, you know, you can't believe what's going on, but unfortunately, only God knows the measure of the iniquity of the Jew. We don't, you see. Uh, so therefore, the, that's why Russia is only one day a year. Because only one day a year you need evaluation. But the truth is, every day a person is judged personally. The creation is judged the whole year, once, only once a year. Only a, but the person himself is judged every day. Because he needs to be cleaned up God doesn't want to wait a whole year for this guy. You know, try to clean him up every day because he doesn't want to, you know, dump the whole thing on him in one shot, you see? Why are everybody judged, including animals? And the answer is they're not judged. They are reevaluated where they have to be placed in order to enable the Jews to do tikkun. For instance, if all of a sudden God says, well, I've got to bring a, a swarm of locusts to Israel, because that's what the Jews need to get the future world. Well, guess what? He's going to judge, not judge the locusts. He's going to allow them to swarm and make the conditions, right, appropriate and suitable. He's going to have four trillion locusts that go over the Mediterranean. You see? That's what he does. That's how he judges them. Only somebody who has free will can be judged. You see? But they are not judged. They are evaluated and placed in whatever position they are, you see? Like if he wants a nation to become rich, right? So all of a sudden, some guy's going to find oil. It's exactly happened with Saudi Arabia in the 30s. They discovered oil because he wanted the shmoil, which are the Arabs, that they have to have their due. And they have to become fabulously wealthy, you see? Which is all part of the shmoil and so on, you see? So guess what? The oil was there for thousands of years, but they discovered it, if I remember correctly, in the 30s, you see? And that became, of course, the, what a change. And so I see, that's all part of the anhogger, what has to happen in order to make sure, sure that the Jews get, you see? And now we understand what the Malachim said. Why not say Hallel? And they're right, because they said, hey, wait a minute. The whole thing is set up, right? You're going to go into your private chambers because the Jews are going to blow the sofa. Right? So well, what's the problem here? No problem. It's right that a Jew may suffer, right? But in the end, he gets to the mama, so he should say, how If you know, imagine you're being tried, right? And your father is the judge. You're not very worried. Because you know your father's going to put you in prison, you know? So you say, how Because what's the problem? That's why we can act on a yontif, Roshan as a yontif. Right? How do we sit here eating great you know, good food and all that, you know. How? The next day, or rather that night, is an unbelievable judgment of the totality of creation. And the answer is because, Papa, our Father, that's why. 
He has guaranteed us that we will survive. You see? So that's why the angels were at an interesting point. It says, wait a minute, you know. It's going to turn out anyway great. Maybe a little rough on the way there. But in the end, it's great, right? So you might as well say, hallelujah, praise God. But God says, you're right. You can't say hallelujah because in any case, they're being judged right for death. Even if it's a way to get them to the future world, you can't say hallelujah Well, part of it is frightening. It's, you know, and so on, right? So that was the discussion between the angels and God. And that's why the suffering. Why? That's why the Shafra. So you now know why the Shafra. It was instituted because God decided to tell everybody. But the Satan is frightened. He knows what's about to happen, you see. And, and by the way, that's why the Shafra has the sounds of crying. Because when we blow Shafra, what are we saying? We are asking God, right, to go into his court on August And that primarily is suffering, Yisurim, which is crying. So the Shaf is our begging him, our request, that he should go into the chambers of his private chambers and save us, even if it means suffering, which is crying. That's why the sounds of a Shafer are crying. It's the human equivalent of crying. It's who a Shafer is and so on, you know. In any case, so, uh, but now you understand what is going on, you see. And what it really, and, and like I say, and the Sutton is, he's not confused. He knows what's about to happen. You see, he's confounded because he's hoping the Jews will not blow Shafer. And tragically, many Jews don't blow Shafer. They don't go, how many Jews are gone? Right? They don't blow Shafer. Most Jews don't even go to Shul on Shalom. You see, not now. It used to be 30 years ago when their parents were Holocaust survivors or European fine. But today, it's a generation after that. How many people don't go to Roshan at all and so on? And it's not good. Obviously, it's very bad. So that's the concept of the sudden. Uh, you see, all this is very important, you see, because it tells us what's going on. Basically, God has performed tremendous amounts of chesed for us by evaluating by guaranteeing that we get the future world, you know. It's just that the difficulty and so on. If you don't really deserve it, you haven't done tshuva. So God is trying to pull the ropes. And that's why God informs us in the first place. And guess what? After the judgment, what does God do? He has an appeals court. That's why it says to me, tshuva is after Rosh Hashanah. You know, first you have the court case and you have the appeals. The 10 days of is the appeal. You see? So Rosh Hashanah is the evaluation. Right? And all of a sudden, many people wake up after Rosh Hashanah. Right? Not on Rosh Hashanah and so on, you know? So God says, okay, I'll give you another 10 days. You see? So those 10 days is to wake up those people who haven't done anything in Elo, which is the precursor of Rosh Hashanah. You see? So that's also a tremendous chesed. And one more incredible act of chesed. You know what that is? I'll tell you. This is beyond. You'd never expect this. You see? <clears throat> What's the problem here? The problem is a person does tshuva. Right? But the problem is the something. Makatri. Prosecutes. So what God does is amazing. He said to the sudden, the gematri of ha 
is 364. That means the Satan has three jobs, right? He's the tempter, he tempts you. And then if you fall, he prosecutes you. And then if you're found guilty, he also is the executioner. Not that you die, but he carries out the judgment, the din itself, right? So God says, you know, on your Kippur, I will allow you to be a Yetzirah, tempter. I will allow you to be an executioner, but you will not be a prosecutor. He dismisses him for one day. There is no Kitrug on Yom Kippur. It's incredible. The man is given a one-day vacation on Yom Kippur. That's why on Yom Kippur, any tshuva is accepted, any of it. It's incredible. That's how God wants, that's how desirous God is of your tshuva. It's astounding. There's no kitrug on Yom Kippur. That's why the Kamati, the Hasatan, is 364, but not 365. Because for that one day, there is no prosecution at all. And that's why any tshuva is incredible. Because it cannot be evaluated or judged by the sovereign. No prosecutions. Now, what is the greatest strategy that you can do? So there's a rivad. There's a very interesting concept. You know, we're sitting there on the Kippur or Shona or Achet, I did this sin and that sin. You know what God really wants in the end? What is the tshuva that he wants? Who? No. No, yes, no, but that's the emotional component. But what does he want? What does he want you to repent on? Do I? Yes, but what he wants you to do, he wants you to straighten your act out. In other words, you have to have a goal. You need to make the goal spiritual. If a person's goal is spiritual, but he struggles, then that is tshuva, the main tshuva. Even if he doesn't do tshuva for the avarice, the fact that he's changed his direction is the critical piece of information that God wants. Because if you're in the direction of ruchness, spirituality, then eventually you'll change. In other words, do you want to work for my company or not? You see? Are you serious about this job? That's what he wants to know. Uh, so even if a guy says, yes, I really love to work for this company, you know, but listen, I got two left hands, as they say. It's not working out very well. So you say, okay, I'll overlook it because your loyalty and devotion is the real thing I need. Okay, well, teach you how to do it. Same thing. That's what the rival says. You know, the key thing in Shuvo is you say to God, you know, until now, my values have been more money, more luxuries, more enjoyment, more pleasures, more everything, material, right? Or so on, you know? But I really am trying to devote myself to spirituality this year. I want to make that key goal, which means I will go to more shiurim, I will learn more Torah, right? I will learn the laws of Russian horror, not to speak Russian horror, and destroy the achdut, unity of the Jewish people, because that's what it does, right? And so on, you know, I will help other Jews. I will do chesed. 
and so on. That's what God wants. Are you in my camp or not? That's what he's looking for. And even if you're not making it, struggling, this and that, okay, he'll fix that up. The key is on you, like Moshe Rabbeinu said by the Chet Ego, Mil Hashem who is with God. You see, that's the critical thing. That's what he wants. If you do that, you're going to have a great year. Maybe a little rough, because God's got to clean you up in the sense of get you ready, you know, ultimately for the future world. But he will give you a good year. He won't shake you up. And he, I'm sure he will clearly improve your situation. Because remember, if a guy did a great job, so God says, wait a minute, you're doing a great job, so I'm going to actually improve your situation so you can actually have more mitzvahs. Wow, what an opportunity. It works both ways. You know, if all of a sudden the guy uh, has taken over responsibility, was able to help a lot of Jews, right? So God says, I like that. So you know what? Guess what? You're going to win the lottery. And they're going to have a ton of money and you can do more chesed. To God doesn't make a difference in terms of the lottery. It's his money anyway. You see, it's not such a chance by God. Uh, so God will improve your situation because you've demonstrated a tremendous uh, devotion to helping other Jews. You see? So it works both ways. And if that's what a person does, that's what God will do. You see? Okay, you are now really informed exactly what is going on. In fact, your information that you have basically heard is very rare. Most people have no idea really what Roshana is. You have now really been exposed to the real insights to what goes on and what you can do to prepare yourself this incredible time. Any questions? <laughs> of course. Okay, a couple of them. So, <coughs> oh, yeah, we can start. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you were talking about um, us going into, uh, uh, Hashem going into the chambers of the Yehud. Okay. Hashem goes into the chambers of the Yehud. Uh, yeah, yeah. To evaluate all the creation. Yes. Um, so when I, I learned that that chamber is called uh, Shlitas Chavayet. Shlitas? Chavayet. Avoyo? Yeah. What about it? That was the name of, the ch- of that chamber. <clears throat> but they say that because we're getting judged every single day, we should um, envision ourselves in that chamber with Hashem, uh, like, on a daily, like on, a, on a daily basis, in order for us to get that Hamid uh, from Hashem constantly so that because we're, since we're being judged every day we always want to be in that Yehudim with us you know what I'm saying? yeah first of all the, there's a, the, the name that the Ramchal gives it the Das Funas is Hanogas Yichud Yichud means the upper one it's called the actions of the supreme being because only God can uh, uh, what do you call it uh, oppose justice because it's against justice mm-hmm. justice says hey you know, you, you, you messed up, you don't get a Yimhabo. But Yichud, God says, I don't care. I'm above justice, I can do whatever I want. I will give you a Yimhabo, except I got to do it a different way. So it's called Angus Yichud. But in the Derech Hashem, the Ramchal calls it 
the anhoka of shlita, that word. Mm-hmm. Shlita means the same thing. God overpowers justice. Shoyle. Mm-hmm. He dominates justice. And only God can dominate justice. We're all subject to justice. And he dominates it. So that's the first idea. That that room is the shlita, which is yichud. I call it yichud. Uh, but the Ramchal uses the term shlita in the Sefer Derashem. And that's true. You see? And then also it says that we should also um, envision ourselves going <laughs> into the gate of um, Atikat Sima, which is the beyond mercy of Bada Hamim Gedolim one. Yes, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that's... that's should we do thing. that also in Rosh It's a kavano. It's a kavano, you know. Uh, a great deal of what happens to you is subject to your intentions. People, uh, the intentions of a person are very powerful, you know. So that's why they have these Yehudim, you know, Kabbalists, uh, Davinu, you consider with all kinds of divine names to arouse, right, <clears throat> different attributes of God. You see? Mm-hmm. So there is a mechanism for that. But let me tell you something. Today, really, it's not required, you know. That type of avoid, there are different approaches. But when the Jews are all holy people, not now, in the previous generation, you know, uh, you know, whatever. So then they have things which are appropriate to them. But today, Jews are so far away from serving God mm-hmm. the right way. They are such a low stature, which they are. That's the tragedy of the Jewish people. How many Jews don't want God? How many Jews say, hey, God's dead, or whatever, right? You know, what are you going to do? You ask them to be in this? Of course not. Mm-hmm. They don't even think about God, let alone about this. It, so it is an avenue of thought to do that, but it's, today this is not what God expects at all. A simple person, you know, that knows, as they say, no chokhmah, you know, at all, no, you know, no sophistication, nothing. If a person like that says, you know, hey, there is a God, I really should listen to what he says. You have no idea what that truth means. You know, there's a Rabhaim Vital who's a student of the Ari. Where is the Ari? Yitzhak Loya, one of the greatest Kabbalists of all time, lived in, uh, died in 1572. Uh, Kisri Ali was phenomenal. You know, I can tell you stories about him that you, you don't even believe. But anyway, but uh, so Rabbi Chaim Vital, his student of the Ali, <coughs> Rabbi Yitzhak Luria once came to me and said, I don't understand, you know. I mean, today we're nobody. You know, I mean, the, the early generations of the Rishonim, the Goinim, the Tanoim, the Amaroim, those people who wrote the Talmud, the Mishnayis, the Nazim. I mean, if they couldn't bring Mashiach, you could tell them, I'm going to bring Mashiach. Like, come on. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're talking about, we don't even know who these people were. You know, uh, what he called uh, Shmuel Hanavi. Do we know what he was? Of course not. You know, and they say Shmuel Hanavi was greater than Moshe Viara combined. I don't know what that means. I don't even know, I don't know what Moshe Rabbeinu was. Did you ever encounter him being like Moshe Rabbeinu? No, we wouldn't. You don't even know what these people are, and so the great Rabbi Akiva to know who he was or what he was. But they had incredible stature. So Rabbi Chaim Batal said to the Ari, "Look, 
they couldn't bring the Mashiach. So what do you want from me? You know, I'm, I'm way lower than these people. See, the Ali told me something which is very important. He said, you don't understand something. <clears throat> the value of your work, your avoider, <clears throat> in great deal, <clears throat> depends on <clears throat> not only who you are, but in the time you live. We live in a time of incredible darkness. You have no idea how low we are. You have no idea of how dark this period of time is. We don't. You, know, you walk, walk around in America, you can't believe what happened to this country. You know, it's like, what is this? Is that, you know, America used to be, talking about current events, America used to be a land of decency. You know, dignity, decency, fair play, something. Today, you walk around, it's a, lun- it's a lunatic asylum. <coughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's like the, the inmates have taken over the insane asylum. It's basically what America is. And you can't believe that, how could America be deteriorated in seven months? Seven months since Trump left office and Biden, crazy Biden, you know, he's an evil person, Biden. He knows what's going on. He doesn't care, you know. So you don't realize when you walk outside, you, you, you are in Sudan. You live in Sudan. <laughs> you know the change in the name of the United States? <clears throat> it used to be the United States of America. Now it's the United Sodomites of America. Really? No. Yeah. Yeah. Sudan. United Sodomites. Sudan, from people Sudan of America. That's what it is. <laughs> America is Sudan. It's the exact same thing. We all know what God did to Sudan, you know. The only reason why he won't do to, to, to America what he did to Sudan, right, is because he needs America to work with the Jews to bring the Mashiach. That's called the Tev Shabesa. Whatever that is, you know. So therefore, what the Ali said is, you don't understand, your single act mitzvah today, and he's talking about his day, you know, in 15, uh, 1571, he got the trust in 1571 or 1570, whatever. Your single act of mitzvah is greater than the acts of maybe a lifetime of the Rishonim or the Tanoim. Because the environment is terrible. <clears throat> You've got to do that in the midst of unbelievable darkness and filth and tumor. And that was in his day, right? 400 years ago. Today, you walk outside, right? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, haven't, been, I, I haven't been to Manhattan. Like, I got, you go to Manhattan, you're immediately accosted by what? LGBTQs plus, right? Uh, like, what is that? You know, what, what, is this a creature, a human creature? You look at this guy, you know? Uh, so in that climate, how can you do mitzvahs? Who cares about your mitzvahs? When every day they're promoting critical race theory, you know, or there's no God, or the Jews are terrible, every day there's terrible, terrible amount of tumor, defilement, and so on, you know. Therefore, your act is incredibly superior to the acts of the previous generation. So you have to... Correct. The same yeah. way like that. <coughs> 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 That's right, yeah. So therefore, you don't know what your act is worth. 
You don't know. And let me tell you something what the Rishima said. It was a very great chassid, uh, chassid, the Rebbe, the Shroma Rishim, one of the great Hasidic Rabbana. So he said the following, two things, and it's worthwhile to understand what he said. He said, what kind of a test is it going to be in this generation before Mashiach? He said, remember Elio with Baal? Elio went up to the Carmel, Har Carmel, in the Novi, right? And he said to the Jewish people, uh, he, he was going to do the supreme test. He said to the priest of Baal, okay, you prepare the altar for your, your cow. I'm going to prepare mine for God, and we'll see on a clear day, lightning, where it's going to come out of. I mean, imagine lightning coming out of a clear blue sky. Uh, so they tried, and they're working at it, screaming and all that stuff. Right? Nothing happened. And he, Elion Nabi, of course, he, he prayed before Mecca. And out of a clear blue sky, a bolt of lightning comes and destroys his altar as a sacrifice. And everybody was so stunned. He said, oh, it's a miracle. Lightning gets come out of a clear sky, you know, destroys everything. And you all said, Hashem will look in. That's what they said, right? Uh, now, imagine if instead of the lightning coming on, Elio's Altar. Instead, God sends his lightning bolt on the altar of Baal. Huh? That means God is in agreement with them, not with Judaism. He says that's the equivalent test of today's time, where it looks like God is behind all the Tumor, and he actually is rooting for the evil. For the Satan, yeah. That is true. Wherever you look, the evil people are the dominion. Wherever you look, whether it be in Israel, right, or America, or China, or Russia, or Iran, or the EU, when you look all around, all the evil people dominate the world. You see? Uh, so what does it look like? Hey, you know, I would say God is obviously behind evil, not behind good. But wait a minute, that's a test. That's how bad it's going to be in the time before Mashiach. Do you imagine what that is? That's how difficult the test will be. You see? And then he said, and what is the reward like if you pass that test? We realize God is not behind them. For whatever reason, they have won Bezdem, the last hurrah, and pun is intended, hurrah, evil, right? Um... <clears throat> What's the reward like? He said the reward of a Jew that is able to survive this test with the whole thing is completely irrational. You don't realize the world is irrational. You're not dealing with sane people. It's an insane asylum. You know, like I said, the inmates have taken over. Uh, you know, what's the reward like? So he says, the original says, that the reward of being remaining a Jew in that time is greater than Yaqedis Yitzchak. And I want to tell you something. We've been collecting rewards for Yaqedis Yitzchak for 4,000 years since it happened. Do you imagine? Uh, so therefore, we bring the Mashiach. Even though, what did I do? So I said, Ashrei. Now what? I said, Ashrei, so what? No. Uh, we said, Ashrei. What? Like they take the 
<clears throat> yeah. It's the greatest destructive device. Nothing. But not only that, nobody knows. Yeah, used to be, you know, you want to commit a sin. <clears throat> yeah, go somewhere, this and that. But yeah, they just take a smartphone. nice stuff on there. You know, it sounds funny. But I mean, what I would watch, not interested, we have to go the garbage, you know. But there was some very some interesting, uh, you know, documentaries, facts. I'm into that, you know. It's fascinating. But wow, I wouldn't touch that thing with a 10 foot pole. You know, a smartphone? Are you kidding? Uh, you know, <clears throat> what, uh, it's not going to last. The temptation on a smartphone between social sites, right, between Amazon. Amazon is fascinating. You can't believe. There are people that spend years on Amazon. <clears throat> you know, yeah, Amazon is fascinating. To, to look at the range of stuff, you know, you can't even dream all the stuff that they have on their stuff. You know, you didn't believe, you never believed that, wow, I didn't know all this was available, right? Come on. <clears throat> Nine in the morning. The what? You could order something. Yeah. I ordered a folding table. Eleven o'clock at night. It was at my door the next day when they got for two weeks. It was at my door in the morning. I told them I'm going to sleep in. Yeah, I want to tell you something. I don't know who Jeff Bezos is. Oh boy. He made my life very easy, so I'm not going to complain. But the guy's worth a hundred and eighty billion dollars. Look, I. Yeah, whatever. I'll tell you one thing. <clears throat> He's a smart guy, you know, because he realized two things. And that's really the success of Amazon, you know. One is make it available. One. And, like, you can get the, you know, it's incredible you can get it on Amazon. <clears throat> and the second thing is make it available now. 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 Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like...
Well, yeah. Now, zero. That's the answer of your question. Why we are not swept outside? Outside they infect us, and they keep saying, I can do it, nothing will happen to me. And slowly, it well, goes to the gospel. Yes. In order to preserve yeah. Judaism. Right. Of course. You know, of course. But they have to meet with a punishment. I want to. But what I wanted to say is that the concept of an internet, the concept of an internet, the concept of a smartphone, in certain ways, is forcing God to reveal his hand. He has to stop it. Because in 10 years, in 10 years, what you're looking at now is holy. What, this is going to be holy in 10 years. That's how, more, that's how much deterioration is going to happen in 10 years. If you think the internet and all this stuff is bad now, you have no idea where it's headed. You know, where everything, you know, and therefore God realizes, therefore God realizes that there is no turning back. The world is headed, the world is headed in a downward spiral. You see? And when you see that, that there is no chance rehabilitation, then you know God must act. And you see that. I mentioned, you know, the concept of internet, smartphone, and so on. This is non-reversible. Not going to go back. The concept of uh, LGBTQ plus is non-reversible. It's not reversible. Lesbian, LG, lesbian, because there's many colors. No, there has to be another reason why. <coughs> they pick a rainbow. Yeah, well, I. You could, well, why they pick a rainbow? Why do you say they pick the rainbow? Because the rainbow is the sign that God made for the marble that He won't destroy the earth because of LGBTQ, and they pick the exact symbol to defy God. Yeah. That's what you want to hear. It's a defiance. It's a defiance. Guess what? We're going to use your symbol. We're going to use Any other questions? Nothing. Okay, so in your story, you said you were talking about like Hashem can have a special <coughs> in a nanosecond. Yeah. So then we go back to the. How does the. How do we. How does what? How do we understand in the Hamash where it says that like. Hashem remembers someone that plays in Davening for a baby, or uh, Hashem heard from Mitzrayim. Hashem heard their cry. Okay, what's your question? So, if he can have Hashem in a nanosecond, what is that he remembers me? Well, you have to remember, <clears throat> all of those expressions are called anthropomorphisms. <laughs> they are all talking about God as if he had human qualities, which he doesn't. God remembers nothing. 
God has never forgotten anything. So there is nothing to remember. The second thing is God doesn't remember something, right? Because there is no such thing as time. There's no past, present, or future. So he doesn't remember what happened. It never, there's no past. It's now. <laughs> so you have to look at these things, how they are applied to God. But the, the, the Torah talks about God in human qualities because there's no other way to understand them. So therefore the Torah, but God doesn't remember anything. He's not in time. So what do you remember? There's no such thing as a past. So what's there to remember? So my question with that nanosecond, second, how he does it, um, is that, you know how they say that there's a certain time in the day where <laughs> Hashem has um, more mercy on um, Am Yisrael? Does that have, is, there, is that nanosecond done at that specific time? No. No, there's a specific time of judgment. That's when it's done. When it's done. And we have no idea when that nanosecond is? Well, what it probably is is that uh, either it's immediately when Rosh Hashanah starts. Okay. Right? What? Immediately when Rosh Hashanah starts. Instantly. God knows exactly when it starts. And in one nanosecond, less, everything has been judged. <clears throat> yeah, you see, what you don't God doesn't, yeah, you see, what you don't understand, how does God know I'm giving a Shia? How does he know? Because you can say he sees me? No. no he's willing it into existence. No. No. How does God know anything? What? Because we emanate from him. So God knows everything that's happening because everything is in him. So he knows himself. Because God knows himself, he knows everything, since he is the one who created everything. That's why. We emanate from God. They didn't know me in the sense that he sees me. God is not external to this year. This year emanates from him. We don't know how. You see? We'll discover it in the Mahabha. Therefore, God knows everything because he knows himself. Different way of knowing. For me to know something, I have to see it. Because I'm not that thing. Yeah. Yes. The wind of Hashem. And the Hashem is here. Well, a lot of this, which I, 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 I want to give up a long time ago, who is God? Who is He? What is He? What are His attributes? What is He? You know, what can He do? Is there anything He can't do? Fascinating question. But no, no, but you have to understand a lot of things based on who is God. And that's a, a shia that I have to give someday, which most people have no inkling of. Most people have a kindergarten version of God. Well, God is a, you know, he's a big guy, a giant, and he's got the super hearing, so he can hear everything. 
it's, it's still uh, infantile. <clears throat> well, you're right. You're right. As a five-year-old, you're right. As a five-year-old, but not as an adult, you can understand it much better. Yeah. So how you said that um, Hashem is the oneness of everything, and that's uh, and that's why he's a part, like he's emanating through the this sh- this Is that the name Ehiyah <clears throat> that they use for that? Well, Ehiyah, yes, Ehiyah is being. Right. God is existence itself. If I asked you, does God have existence? What would you answer? He is existence. Yeah. No. Oh. He doesn't have it. He, he is, is it. There's a very big difference between the two ideas. We have it, so it can be taken away from us that we disappear. <clears throat> he is existence. We don't know what that means, but he is it, and therefore that enables them to do things which we can it's just incomprehensible. But I, well, in the sheer of who is God, there are four levels of who he is. And the last level, which is the fourth, will shock you. Because what I told you now is not even true. I just told you that because I have to tell you something. Yeah. But really, he's not even that. So the question is then, who is he? Well, I'm going to take you on a trip. We're going to examine all four levels of who God is. And it is the fourth level that is absolutely shocking. Something to look forward to. What? In a vault, you said. In a vault? Did you think? No, they're going to put it in a vault. Oh, no. In a vault. So now that um, we saw, okay, now Cuomo resigned. Right? Yes, he was okay. Very good. So, um, <coughs> you, remember how you said <coughs> at some point you were speaking about the messianic stages and the process of it, the five R's. We were past rescue. We were on rehabilitation. So, if if Cuomo's resignation is a turn of events, hopefully, Hashem, do we move to that next level of redemption? When do we move? When are we getting, like, is it part of the Shemitah year, the Yobel year? Where, where do we fall on that stage? Well, with Cuomo's overthrow, and really it will be complete with Biden's overthrow, because yeah. um, God will not allow him to destroy the earth. That's what he's doing. Yeah. He will not allow the progressives. <clears throat> right now they're given freedom. Because it's the last, hurrah. last hurrah, yeah, hurrah, of of these guys. Because that's what the Sultan says as well. It's not fair. All the Jews are sinning. Why can't I have my? Why I, I want my cut? You know. So whatever reason, they got, remember, God has to satisfy justice. That's very important. God cannot not satisfy justice because then the world will have been created where you can get the future world without doing anything. No. He must that, and everything you're looking at is nothing more, in a negative way, than a satisfaction of justice. So therefore, ultimately, justice will be satisfied. And then, white, it destroys it all. In an instant, you see, 
So he's letting these guys run amok. We use that word. They're all going crazy because I told you the essential concept of progressives is precast oil overthrow the yoke of God. They want to overthrow the yoke of authority. We want to do what we want to do. Jump in the lake. That's exactly what the whole philosophy is. That's communism. That's uh, progressism, liberalism. That is the Democratic Party. Uh (coughs) Ultimately, God says, okay, I gave you guys free reign, and I'm now going to stop it. Just like Cuomo. When Cuomo, before the charges came out, do you think he knew that he would be dumped? Of course not. He nearly knew that. You know, it's like he woke up one morning and said, wow, I'm governor of New York State. It's one of the most powerful positions in the world. New York State is one of the most, it was anyway, one of the most powerful states. Now, I'm talking about two weeks ago. You think he could possibly think that he would be resigning two weeks later? Impossible. And they were trying to do this, but the writing... Wrong time. Impossible. Ah, you see. Because that's what God does. In Miyad, as soon as the merit of this guy was up, and he obviously had a lot of merit, you know, as soon as it was up, God said, it's over. And instantly, he was finished. You don't realize that when the justice of God finally swings, it clobbers you with a sledgehammer. But it takes time. There's a saying in English. The, we, the millstone. You know what a millstone is? Yeah. They used to have this huge stone, right? And they used to take flour and put it in front. They used to move the stone. The old days, right? I, today, you know? And they used to grind and, you know, crush the wheat kernels. <clears throat> so it says that the millstone of God grinds exceedingly slow, hmm. very slow, but exceedingly fine. Hmm. That means when it gets to you, you are pulverized. Hmm. It may take time, because God has his reason. You know, he's got to satisfy justice. Everybody gets a fair shake, as they say, including the Sutton, and so on. Because in the end, the world has to be redeemed through justice. That's why you're looking. Uh, but like I said, what, the, the, what you're looking at is not just the success of the Internet. By the way, the Internet is messianic. I don't know if you realize that. What? <clears throat> because imagine one guy who's the Mashiach, right? God needs what's called global connectivity, doesn't he? How's this one guy going to talk to the whole world? So that's why God has allowed two phenomenon phenomena to exist. One is a global connectivity device, which is the internet. Connects everybody. And the second thing is wireless. So you can sit in the desert and listen to it also. Mm-hmm. And those two things, today everybody gets satellites. Today everybody gets satellites. Anyway, those things mean that the world is heading and hopefully Cuomo is the beginning of the end. 